When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello listeners, Danny here. Just to inform you that this podcast was recorded by myself and Sam and edited by me because our usual producer, Katie Rogers, was unavailable. As a result, you may notice the podcast is slightly less well edited than usual. I can only apologise. We will return to our usual standard of editing next week when our producer will return. In the meantime, please, please listen to this one. That's right, really hard. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a really short man who visits his former pimp in Amsterdam, then gets wrongly accused of being a serial killer targeting male prostitutes, which forces him to go undercover in the sex industry to find the real killer and clear his name. Oh wait, that's actually the plot of the 2005 film Juice Bigelow, European Gigolo. This is actually a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran and joining me is the man who awakens my inner goddess, Wow, Sam Foster. Hello! A wonderful episode of Film Chat is coming your way. Today, Danny and I discuss the Bechdel test, a popular way to measure the presence of women in a film, and we see how the movies we've reviewed on the podcast stack up. Plus, we review claymation ovine romp Selma, and the Oscar-nominated hard-hitting civil rights drama Shaun the Sheep. Or it might be the other way around, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's better. All right. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, correspondence. After last week's record number of correspondence, we've returned to our usual slow trickle. Yeah, can't be, can't be a uh, record every week. So, Mick Campbell on Twitter asks, "Watched Frank last night. Didn't really enjoy it at the time, but it kind of stuck with me. What do you make of it?" Oh, sorry, he's Irish. What do you make of it? Um, I haven't seen Frank, but I, I know you have, Danny, and I know you're a fan. I have. It was one of my films of the year. Yeah, maybe me, me, third, fourth. So. Up there. Uh, did it? Did you like it immediately, or is uh, Mick Campbell an idiot for um, not taking to it straight away? Mick Campbell is obviously an idiot for not yeah. taking to it straight away. No, I loved it. What I liked about it, to briefly 
mini review yeah. is um, the, if you know the premise is Domhnall Gleeson ends up in this band which is like a sort of weird Captain Beefheart esque band so out there they just their music is incomprehensible and strange and so is their recording methods and Michael Fassbender plays Frank who wears a massive paper mache head all the yeah. time Frank Sidebottom uh, based on Frank Sidebottom but what was so good about the movie I mean last week we were discussing how Kingsman was an attempt to have your cake and eat it this movie has its cake and eats it and it's a delicious cake and I wish well, I want to eat this cake again <laughs> um, because what's so good about it is it like plays the inherent comedy of like a weird band and like a weird leader and for the first half of the movie it's got a lot of really funny jokes in it but then as the movie progresses the sort of realism of like who is actually in that head yeah so it comes through yeah yeah and it's more to do with sort of daniel johnson that sort of musician who's like sort of traumatized and you, know, you see the guitarist who sold his soul to the devil to yeah be able to play yeah yeah no, that's robert johnson right okay so <laughs> there's the devil and daniel johnson is a book oh shit about that's probably why yeah. i'm getting confused and by the end it becomes quite poignant and it's got this amazing end scene which i won't spoil for you but like i was just like walking out the cinema it was in such a good mood i was like that movie is brilliant and i watched it again and i'm like maybe it's a bit flawed, but the last scene is so good that I don't care. Yeah. So no, another way in which it's unlike Kingsman. So so <laughs> in that movie, you go through it thinking, ah, oh, maybe this is, you know, I don't know, it's not amazing, and then you leave the film thinking that's the fucking worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I think we should like compare every film to Kingsman from yeah. now on. Yeah, I just love talking about it. Tweet from James Andrews. He says, "You both have really idiosyncratic ways of saying the word movie. Can you say it loads on the next show, please?" He but, wants us to say, like, not in context, but just say it. So, Danny, if you'll say it a few times. Uh, movie, 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 movie. Okay, I'll have a go now. Movie, 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 movie. Is that... I, I really felt like we said that in a normal way. What do you think? I don't know, maybe... Does he mean that we say it differently to each other, and each of us says it differently to how most people say it? Wow. Movie... Maybe let's maybe we said it at the same time. <laughs> Something will happen. Okay, one, two, three. Movie. Movie. Oh, no. Hope you enjoy that, James. We, I think we covered that. That was for you. And finally, message from Sam Casely. There was a lot of talk of bravery from those dishing out wars of the Baftas. I have huge respect for people involved in making films, but I'm not sure that we can really call Gillian Flynn's adaptation of her own novel for a Hollywood studio brave. What is bravery? I quite to hear Sam and Danny get philosophical. Finally, a question we can get our teeth into. I know. Even um, if it does sound a bit like um, Oxbridge interview uh, <laughs> question. Sort of what is bravery? Pre- this is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think definitely like, the word brave is just overused in all the wrong... Con- I mean, if you're pulling someone out of a fire, you're brave, brave. But yeah. making a film doesn't really require huge leaps of... Yeah, I don't know. Courage, it's, it's like... It's part of the vocabulary of group wanking <laughs> that goes into reward ceremonies, right? It's just one of those things you say. I couldn't have done this without all those incredibly brave people. Yes, yeah, it's, it's being used because there isn't a sufficient word for describing taking a creative risk. There's not, like, a succinct way of putting that, mm. maybe. You mean that it doesn't, like, compare badly with um, saving a baby from a fire <laughs> yeah, or exactly. like, fighting in a war or something? Like, I don't know, like, the movie Under the Skin isn't a particularly brave movie, but it's quite... Whoever produced that is quite a bold risk. Well, it's brave of Scarlett Johansson to talk to all those Glaswegian strangers. <laughs> like, anything could have happened. Before a young woman <laughs> like her, travelling around in a van. In Glasgow. In Glasgow, of all cities. I mean, it's a... You know, you know what they do to Hollywood stars there? <laughs> <laughs> Especially ones in white vans. 
So that's so it's brave on her part. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think any of the films are particularly brave. What's the bravest? Um, boyhood. Yeah. You know, so he pulled it off. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a ballsy uh, conceptual idea, and mm. he pulled it off. Maybe, maybe can they replace brave with the word ball- ballsy? Ballsy. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to thank all my ballsy producers, and uh, my wife was pretty uh, ballsy helping me get through this. Yeah. And my stars showed great balls, um, and all that kind of thing. That would be better. Yeah. I think that wouldn't. The bathers should be just called the balls. The balls. <laughs> <laughs> who, who has the biggest balls? Golden balls. Yeah, golden balls. They had David Beckham presenting as well. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> well, they do need an overhaul because they've got to get rid of Stephen Fry. He's just. He's become a kind of waxwork, like, animatronic version of himself. They just wheedle out to sort of deliver some <laughs> awful puns. You know, he's, he's just a sort of algorithm where they just feed in a celebrity's name and it comes out with the, like, first lame joke that he thought of. And it, he's been doing it for 12 years. Ugh. Is it 12? Yeah. Jesus. 12 uh, years of fry. Yeah, so get rid of him. Get rid of the name BAFTA. Call it Golden Balls. <laughs> have it presented by Golden Balls. And I think we've got a recipe for, um, you know, an award ceremony for the next generation. Sounds great. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. So, so it was BAFTA on the weekend, which we were briefly discussing a second ago, and I watched this. I don't normally I sit down and watch award ceremonies, but um, in this case, I would do. I thought I would do my film chat duty and watch it. I caught up on an iPlayer, and uh, the, te- the temptation to skip. Uh, I basically <laughs> watched about it. six minutes of it in total. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that exciting to be honest. Yeah. So. Um, so, what do you think of the actual winners? It was quite ceremony. low. It was quite low on surprises. I would say, it seemed like. Basically, the things that people expected to win won. Right? Yeah, it seems like a bit of a lock-in for all the major categories. It was now. all the sort of normal stuff. I imagine. I'm guessing the Oscars would look similar, except the Lego Movie won't win Best Animated Film because it wasn't fucking nominated. Yeah. Of the winners, a few film chats, films of the year got uh, awards. Boyhood obviously got Best Film. Grand Prix e- Best Hotel. Grand Prix Best Hotel got lots of technical categories. Uh, Ida got Best Foreign Language, Citizen Four got Best Documentary, Documentary that's and true, Lego yeah. Movie got Best Animated. Yeah. So BAFTA shares taste with uh, Film Chat to an extent. To an extent. But not, for, not in the, um, when it comes to Timothy Spall, of course. <sighs> Justice for Spall. The thing that annoyed me the most. Basically, the fruit of everything should give their BAFTAs to Paddington. They stole Paddington's BAFTAs. Especially Best Adapted Screenplay. To be honest, I think almost all of the BAFTAs should have gone to Paddington. <laughs> I think it's like it the big so overload. That was like one of the best movies of last year. Yeah, the clip of Paddington was better than the entire ceremony. Yeah, yeah. That was funnier than anything Stephen Fry said by far. Um, but yeah, like for. I know. It was, I don't know. It was a bit of a giveaway when Stephen Hawking was there that they were going to win something. They would have yeah, wheeled yeah. him out if he wasn't going to win something. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> the only glimpse of anything related to the theory of everything you'll get this evening. Yeah. It was so. I find it slightly embarrassing the way he sort of just turns up and everyone has to like stand up and clap him wherever he goes. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he comes out, he says like one thing. So brave. <laughs> so brave, what a hero. Yeah. Uh, you know. It was quite a funny joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's funnier than Fry. I think that when Eddie Redmayne won Best Actor, they should have shown a clip of him from Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> I will destroy the earth. Whatever. <laughs> like, that's real acting. Come on. Yeah. Um, um, the other thing 
Uh, do you think, now that we've both seen Salma, which we will discuss more later, but do you think David Oyelowo was robbed? Definitely. Why is he not nominated for Best Actor? What is going on? Uh, racists? <laughs> <laughs> do they feel like there's only so many people they can have doing committed performances of icons in a single, like, nomination category or something? Yeah, I don't know. There was this kind of controversy that the screener copies didn't go out in time for the Academy. I'm not sure if it was about BAFTA. There was like... Really? Yeah, like, not enough... People didn't vote for it because no one had seen it, or the oh, same proportion I've of voters had seen it. Like, I've the screening copy now. I've already taken I've the, the, the box. I can't change that now. Come on. Um, but yeah, it's a far superior film to for everything. And it's well, his, game. His performance and, is undoubtedly fantastic in it. Yeah, come on, it's better. Also, like, I didn't begrudge Eddie Redmayne's win, uh, win but I don't know maybe it's a, a case of it being a poorly written part. But his uh, acting performance is more just like technically very good, mm. but in terms of the sort of uh, emotional beats he's playing they're kind of a bit repetitive right, whereas yeah. Devo Yellow does like everything in that movie he's like a whole range of I don't know you get everything from it yeah, yeah I see what you mean so I don't know if it's just you know good character, good role good performance it's hard to distinguish but yeah well it certainly, it certainly helps him as a performer having a better role to do <laughs> like better written I've concluded that it's better to have a good role <laughs> it's easier to do a better performance yeah right so right. that's that for the BAFTAs goodbye BAFTAs see goodbye BAFTAs bye I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Bye. Bye, Baptist. More um, news. So uh, last week we were lamenting the the sort of ugly vein of misogyny in Kingsman. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned that movie <laughs> uh, too many times. A horrendously sexist conclusion of Kingsman. And uh, almost as if my subconscious prayers are answered, uh, all this year the Bechdel Test Fest is going on, which is a year-long festival that celebrates films that succeed in representing women in positive and progressive light and pass the test with flying colours. Uh, there's going to be screens throughout the year with one main event in September to celebrate Alison Bechdel's birthday. And there's going to be debates, <laughs> Q&As, shorts, and uh, there might even be a little party, apparently, according to the website. When is, where is this all taking place? This is taking place around London. Oh, okay. uh, the screenings, I think the first screening is at the end of March. They're screening Tiny Furniture, which is Lena Dunham's right. debut film okay, yeah. uh, in Hackney. I think the Hackney Picture House. Okay. I'll put up the website. Check those details. <laughs> Cool. So should we briefly explain what the Bechdel test is? Let's do it. Okay. The Bechdel test is a handy measure for gauging the uh, representation of women in a film. Yeah. And uh, it derives from a comic in the 80s called Dykes to Watch Out For uh, by Alison Bechdel. And in, in the comic, one of the characters says that she only goes to see movies if they have at least two female characters who have a conversation and the conversation is about something other than a man. And surprisingly, this cuts out a very large proportion of all films, about yes. half of them. Yeah, just as a point of comparison, including the films we review in this episode, Film have reviewed 29 films and only 14 of them passed the Bechdel test. Yeah. But... So so, yeah. So, well, I think our reviews are pretty much bang on the general proportion. I think it's about like just over 50 that fail. Yeah, but it's like, important to note that like, films like Kingsman or Selma 
which has very few female characters in it, pass the test. Yeah, but yeah. they just. Just. Yeah. Literally, you only need like one line of two characters talking to each other to pass it. It doesn't really necessarily mean your film's feminist. I think the thing the thing that's like important about the Bedard test is that it's not a kind of measure of whether it's like a film is good or bad or whether it's feminist or it isn't. But it's a kind of way to, if you apply more generally, you can see the problem that exists. I mean, the reason the test is effective is because if someone just tells you those criteria, you think that that sounds like nothing. Yeah. Two female characters who have names in a film doesn't sound like anything special. Yeah. And the, the, they talk to each other and it's not about a man. It just seems like, you know... Yeah, all films would surely pass, they that, would pass surely. that. Yeah, and it turns out that um, a lot of them don't or if they do, it's like they just squeak past. The only way Kingsman passes the test is because the one significant female character in the film talks to the main character's mum <laughs> on the phone at one point Yeah. Um, after she has just been sent to space in order to get her away from the climactic <laughs> action of the film. Send that woman into space. Get this character into space. I don't want to around. You know, you've explained that very well, Sam, but is there a way you could explain that in, like, musical terms? Oh, people are often saying to me after I explain things to them, that was great, Sam, but can you turn that into a two-minute song and repeat yourself? <laughs> so that's what's going to happen now. Um, and I hope you enjoy this little song I did <laughs> about the Bad Down Test. I just saw a film and I thought it was the best. Okay, why don't we find out if it passed the Bad Down Test? Step one. Does it have at least two female characters with names? There's a zookeeper called Sandra and a vet who's called Elaine. Step two. Do the ladies meet and do they have a conversation? At the climax of Act Two, they cross paths at a train station. Step three. Do they talk about a topic other than a man? Soldiers' eggs were vaccinated, but it didn't go to plan. Now the animals all have rabies. Soldier says, please, if you can, don't catch the train. I need your help. Elaine, my zoo is overrun. That sounds exciting, but a simple yes or no would have done. That film passed the test, but over one in two do not. Lots of Sandras and Elaine's are stuck with parts that aren't so hot. And though the Bechdel test does not prove if the film is feminist, the bigger picture's clear that round independent female characters are often sorely Brilliant. Brilliant, thanks. Brilliant. Yeah, wonderful. So I think that, that, you know, my intention is to tour that to schools around the country, show it to all the kids, get them yeah. thinking, you know, get them thinking. And then watching all their children's movies and they're like, you know... I mean, I hated women way into my early 20s. Me too. But if I'd heard that song in my formative years, it could have changed my entire life. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, when I first heard about this, it was kind of an eye-opener, um, I found. It's a really interesting thing to uh, go into movies thinking about or, or to take away from them. Not just like whether, like as I was saying, it's not just whether a film passes or not, but like the extent to which it does or, you know, it makes you think about like what is a woman's place in the movie. Yeah. Because I, like a lot of people, or at least you often hear kind of defence of um, how feminist a character is 
um, or how feminist a film is, you say, oh, there's this really strong female character in the movie, you know, she's, like, strong-willed and independent and she's got flaws and, you know, the sort of complex stuff that you want. But then maybe every single other person she interacts with is a man. You yeah. Know? And then, like, although that might be completely dramatically justified in the, in the context of the film, that film is obviously not a good example of a film which is about women. You yeah. Know? And if... Uh, the topics of films were um, proportionate to the gender split of the human race. You'd expect about half of movies yeah, to yeah, be yeah, about completely, things completely. that concern women, and they obviously are not. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast Will you the ones can kiss my ass Yes, I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat Sean the Sheep is a children's clay animated film. It's a spin-off. Or well, Sean the Sheep, the character, is a spin-off of Wallace and Gromit. In the, he's the sheep character in <laughs> in a close shave. Yes. And they gave him his own children's television show called Sean the Sheep, which is about seven minutes per episode or something, and it's about the kind of misadventures of this bunch of sheep on a farm. It's, it's adorable. Yeah. And now Sean the Sheep has taken to the big screen, and uh, I went to see this. It's probably... Like, it's been a while, like, that's, like, the youngest demographic film that I've been to see the cinema in a while, yeah. you know? Like, you go to see a children's film. It's is it a like... you? Uh, I believe it is. Yes. I'm... So you read the... No. Oh. What's the plot? The plot is... Okay, so Sean the Sheep, he lives on this farm with a bunch of other sheep. <laughs> There's a farmer who looks after them. Whoa, slow down, slow <laughs> down. Whoa! There's a sheep dog. And one day they decide to take a day off. They're sick of working for the farmer and they kind of pull a sort of prank on him, but it goes wrong. He ends up in a caravan, rolls into the city where he is struck on the head, develops amnesia. And then the farm animals have to go into the city to rescue him while being hunted by an evil animal prevention unit man. So, um, yeah. So obviously it's hard to play an audio trailer of a film. Uh, like Sean the Sheep, but uh, we do have one, so maybe we should hear the trailer to get a flavour of what the film is like. In a world of wolves... Don't mess with me, son. I'm a wolf and all. One sheep has the world to succeed. I know what you are. I'm going to string you up by your furry balls. You are always different, Sean. Stronger than the others. He's the ram of the hour. Good morning, Laura. I love you, Sean. Hello, Laura. And Mutton will stand in his way. Don't go in there, Sean. The wolves will eat you alive. Fuck the wolves. Sean the sheep. Get some. Yeah, it's made by Ardman Animations, uh, who have had a quite a consistent output. Yeah, they, I love all They make films. a lot of great movies. Some sometimes clay animated, sometimes computer animated, but yeah. they tend to be very good. I love them all. Even like Flushed Away got like a slightly Flushed Away is really funny. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean it's not like I wouldn't say it's like a great film, but there's a lot of very very funny bits in it. Yeah. Um, and I think the funniest, actually, the funniest stuff in Flushed Away is the physical humor. Yeah. And they they are so good at they're so good at that kind of humor. 
Um, and the thing, the sort of thing of Sean the sheep is that there's no talking. Like, he's a sheep. Yeah. They're all quite um, anthropomorphized. The animals, like even the spiders in the barn, like have eyes and you know, yeah. like drink coffee and stuff. But there's absolutely no, um, there's no talking. There's no dialogue. And there's quite a lot of human characters in the movie. And their dialogues is like The Sims. You know, it's like that's basically all they do. So that's how. That's how all the communication is done. So the film's got quite a heavy reliance on uh, physical humour, obviously. Yeah. But it's all so... It's, like, so witty and so clever and so perfectly executed. And there's something that I really like about... One of the things I really like about um, clay animated movies is the amount of labour. I mean, obviously, a lot of labour goes into uh, computer animated films as well. But I feel like with clay, you can really see it, you know? Yeah. You know that every frame had some guy to come over and physically bend the arm... And then, you know, leave and then take a photo and then, like, keep doing that. Yeah. And uh, the laboriousness of that process makes the, um, like, deftness uh, and, like, lightness of the final product seem somehow, like, more impressive. Yeah. And there's a lot of very, very beautifully timed physical moments in it, um, which seems all the more impressive for the kind of slowness of the production, you know? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I highly recommend it. I think there's there's something kind of amazing about a film which not only will five-year-olds and adults enjoy it, but they'll be laughing at the same jokes. Yeah. It's not like one of those kid children's movies that, like, puts in adult references just to, like, you know, keep their, like, dads awake. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I was... I was just giggling throughout, basically. It's just full of... Little, and then like, afterwards, you think about it, you think of these little, little moments that are just, like, really, really funny. So do you, it completely lives up to its running time? It doesn't feel like a TV show yeah, stretched out? N- uh, not to me. I thought it, it, I didn't find it boring at all. It's kind of zips past. It's 85 minutes long. Yeah, it never drags. There's an amazing subplot where the farmer, like, some, he's, like, got amnesia, but he, like, becomes a celebrity hairdresser because he's, like, <laughs> thinks he, he's trying to remember his occupation and he, like, picks up a bunch of, like, um, some electric razor thinking oh, he gets shears yeah, yeah. and, like, gives this famous guy a haircut. Uh, which like turn, goes viral and then it becomes like <laughs> celebrity. It's like <laughs> oh, it's just great, brilliant. It's just great. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I it's yeah, like it's I like it's like it. a it's a real like hog of a film. It's a yeah. beautifully crafted labor of love, and uh, it will uh, make you laugh, make you cry, move you, and um, steal a child just so you don't have to be embarrassed to go in to see it. Way ahead of you. <laughs> Selma, which I think signifies the last of the Oscar movies to come out, even though it was yeah, a bit of snubbing. Right. Yeah. It's got a best picture nod. So Selma, uh, it said in 1965, and despite it now being legal for black people to vote, they are being prevented from doing so by the officials in power, particularly in the southern states. So the film chronicles the civil rights movement led by Martin Luther King and the campaign to secure voting rights by organising an epic march from Selma to Montgomery in Alabama. And the film sort of chronicles the, this process, the relationship between him and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson yeah. and the sort of different uh, hostilities and pressures they're put under as a group. Yeah, it's, like, uh, it's kind of about his um, strategising. Yeah, get, it's uh, key that the movie's called Selma and not just Martin Luther King. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I thought this was really good. 
I I didn't when I left the cinema didn't quite make of it, and the more I think about it, the more I think it was good. Mm. I think I probably have grown more positive about it as well since seeing it. I think it's like often uh, I think I've just got sort of natural air of cynicism about these kind of movies where it feels like here is an amazing story or amazing issue, and just if you add some good performances, it's like add hot water to equal good yeah, film. Yeah. But the film feels very genuine in its ambitions. And it's obviously made for for very sincere reasons, and that yeah. comes across. Yeah. So it's not doesn't it's not from the Weinstein Oscar factory. Yeah, precisely. Did you feel like because one of the things that um, uh, I felt during the movie that made me like dampened my enthusiasm for it slightly when it came out was that it felt a little by the numbers in terms of its like uh, you know all the sad bits have sad music, all the happy bits have triumphant music, and. It's all kind of, you know, glossy and, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it follows very kind of standard beats and That's, know, that... I felt like there was a little bit of that. It felt a bit like a movie that, you know, would be shown to like high school students in America to teach them about what had happened, you know? That's... Like there's a documentary to go beside it or something. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think what it has in its favour, though, is it doesn't feel glossy in the sense that the characters feel real. And it would be very easy to make mm-hmm. it... a because Martin Luther King is such a sort of legendary figure from history, the film does a good job of getting to like the real person. Yeah. And it would have been easy to make it into like a sort of quite mythical um, story. And what's kind of good about the direction, and I think Bradford Young, who shot it, is the film, the way the visuals of the film, it has like a mythic quality to it, the sort of lighting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you never, they always feel real. And there's a real sort of presence that the characters might die because they're under constant danger. Mm-hmm. And part of the, Bars because the movie doesn't pull any of its punches when it comes to depicting the violence. The violence yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a bit in the movie where like Martin Luther King's like, I feel the presence of death, and you sort of do in the movie. It's like, geez, yeah. you know, and also because I felt, I felt that sort of foreshadowing of his assassination was slightly clumsy. He says to, he says stuff like, "Good place to die" or whatever, and yeah, yeah. But there is this like, oh, we should say that this. Um, the time frame of the movie is after the "I Have a Dream" speech and before his assassination. Yeah, but there is definitely the sense among the civil rights leaders that they some of them won't live out to see the end yeah, of their... Yeah, definitely. They like know they're taking their lives in their hands. Yeah, and also, like the main thrust of the film, which is sort of the best bit of it, is the fact that because they're non-violent doesn't mean it's not like a very bloody film. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. sort that's of... Good, the kind of... The heroism of not... Of like deliberately going somewhere you know... You're going to get You're going to get beaten up purely to amplify your cause. Yeah. Is like like really like heroic and uh, the movie yeah doesn't pull its punches. Part of the reason I didn't know quite what to make of it is because even though it's not a spoiler to say that the march is successful, yeah, brackets and like uh, this legislation goes through, but their success is undermined by just the success is gaining basic human rights. Yeah, yeah, that's part of what makes it um, uh, such a relevant film now. Yeah, because. It seems like quite well-timed to have this movie come out after a year of controversies involving black people being uh, uh, killed yeah, by, police. by the police. <laughs> yeah, so it's like the movie is kind of normal black folk versus law enforcement. 
and that dynamic has been very present in the news recently and the rap by Common which ends the film like name checks Ferguson like immediately yeah so it's obviously very conscious of that um, of that aspect but I think that that's kind of emphasised by the fact that the movie is just about having the Voting Rights Act passed so it's like they can register to vote in order to vote out the racists Um, which is now being uh, rep- has been repealed that voting yeah, law plus the, I think in 2013 they, they, they overruled it so basically the, they, they were like there's no racism now there's no racism it's fine, now we can get rid of that it's fine it's a post-racial America yeah <laughs> right <laughs> so hilariously that was like their excuse I'm gonna, I'm gonna be racist we've got yeah. a black president have you noticed any racial tensions in America lately <laughs> sounds fine so maybe we should uh, talk about David Oyelowo's performance David which he, we've touched upon and he yeah. is brilliant in it yeah i um i listened to mark Kermit's review where he said that he kind of carries the movie on his shoulders and i think that's true i think that he's the real like central you know obviously he's a central character but he like holds the whole thing together i think it would yeah. be a lesser film if it wasn't for his you know, great performance yeah the, the there's like an interesting ensemble but i think in an effort to show the widespread participation in civil rights and how so many people key in it a few people get sort of lost in the mix yeah like his wife uh, played uh, very Carmen well Ajigo, by right? Carmen Ajigo has like pretty much has like one really good scene and I don't know if it's like you know because the movie's not really about his relationship it's about civil rights so they were thinking oh we have to include this but it's almost like she's too good in that scene and leaves a bit of a mark on the movie <laughs> and you wonder where she goes I don't slightly. know I, that's one of the things that I felt a bit less um, thrilled about actually was the whole thing with him and his wife because um, I mean I liked it in, in that it was like the tensions with his wife and it there's a reference to um his infidelities which is uh, i guess this historical thing there's something um a, that i think is a bit cliched about the man out there fighting for justice and then you you know at home you see the other tensions you know where you got the kind of put upon wife being like but you know but what about what is doing to me you know i have to deal with these problems as well and on the one hand, it's like humanizing his family life. And on the other hand, it's like, here's another thing our hero has to deal with. You know, I feel a bit like, I feel like that's kind of, you know, like I would like the inside, you know, that Michael Mann film. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a movie where Russell Crowe is fighting a big um, corporation and like yeah. trying to tell the truth and like being brave and stuff. And he goes home to his wife, who's like, you know, just nags and like moans at him. Yeah, but I don't know. I... It's, it's better than that, but. Yeah, but I don't, I don't like think I've it's less than like, She's not moaning, but she like accepts the situation, and she's not going to break up with him. And she's, she has like huge affection for him, but she's not like in love with him anymore. But mm. it's important, like she can't break up with him. Like she has a, as much vested in his cause and as he does. Yeah, I know, so, I know. But I just feel like you know, I've seen this scene where the the hero is like you know pleading with his wife, and she's like all angry. I've seen that like a million times. Nah, yeah. I was, I didn't mind it so much. Okay, because I thought it was so well acted. His long pause was really great. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay." It was no, it was it was well acted, but I don't. That wasn't. Are you a racist? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you are. I don't know. There was just like a couple of moments that seemed like a little silly or slightly like by the numbers. Yeah, which but you know it was kind of elevated by the sincerity of it and the strength of David Ellaway's performance and the. Uh, how well told the like actual story, story is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would uh, recommend it. Recommend it. Recommend it. And if you don't go see it, you're a racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you like that? 
Yeah. Why don't you get through? Feminism, racism. We're tackling all the issues. Yeah, man. yesterday we were doing a class, like a critique of yeah. um, Kingsman. It's like Noam Chomsky's doing a film podcast. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Now let's just wrap up and go eat our quinoa and yeah. drink our... Uh, what a, yeah, which is, we're, basically, drink. we're basically hipster progressive intellectuals. <laughs> <laughs> like Chomsky crossed with... Um, uh, uh, brand. <laughs> Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham. Well, like Chomsky Dunham. Ch- <laughs> Gnome Dunham. Gnome Dunham. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're pioneering a new brand of criticism called Gnome Dunham. Ah, wonderful. Gnome Dunham. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end. Okay, so uh, one thing that we are both still having a great time talking about and thinking about <laughs> is how annoying Kingsman is. Um, yeah, yeah, we've mentioned it numerous times on this podcast. I've continued to mull it over the many ways in which the film irritated me. And uh, Matthew Vaughan recently appeared on an Empire podcast. He's such a thrilling speaker that they dedicated a whole podcast just to talking to him. It's incredible. Yeah, and him and Chris Hewitt got together to talk about how much they love to see brains explode. And, uh, it's uh, brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway, so he also uh, offers a explicit defence of the most controversial part of the film, which is the bum gag at the end, which we discussed last week. Yes. Let's listen to his defence. Let's listen to the first part of Matthew Moore's defence. I don't know. The last scene, for instance. <laughs> Which yeah. is quite Roger Moore. It's kind of a Roger Moore well, ending a po- pushed to the... Well, it, what the whole movie is. This whole movie is a postmodern love letter to spy films. And a lot of people do... The, um, the whole point about the ending is, I'm a kid watching Moonraker and I hear you know, Bond's about to, uh, ex- about to attempt re-entry, sir. <laughs> so I remember that line, all right? So, I've rem- you know, so I'm just going, all right, I remember that as a kid. We've blown people's heads up. We've done massacres and churches. We've, sw- we've, we've pushed the boundaries. We should at least take the those classic end spy movie end joke and do the R-rated version. Why not? You know, it's like, and if people have got a problem with it, well, you somehow hung on to this movie for two hours. So I'm amazed you got to that point to then be offended. <laughs> right, so that's not really... So uh, you kind of mentioned this before, right, that it was this nod to, like, other Bond movies. Um, yeah, but that itself isn't... Is uh, as an excuse. Yeah. It was in another movie. I just made it worse. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> what? It was bad in the 60s. Yeah. And I'll just make it twice as bad. I think it's a, it's just an example of how his desire to do this, like, what he sees as a laddish gag is kind of taking precedence over what will be good in the film. He mentions one other thing, which is that the princess uh, pleading for sex in the asshole um, is a feminist version of that gag because she's the one who says it and not him, not the man. Let's hear the man himself say it. <laughs> and also, the other point is, I had the woman making the joke, not the man. Yeah, that's that's what people aren't getting. Like, if it was Taron going, well, hey, if I save the world, can I do it in your asshole? Then you go, okay, that's not working. The woman saying it, the people go, oh, it's sexist. I'm going, no, she's in control. She's yeah. doing it. Um, and I think this just demonstrates his complete lack of understanding of how this will come across or his, like, judgment in doing it in the first place, you know? It's so, it's so lame. First of all, 
this character's only been invented for this joke. Yeah, she's been in so many previous <laughs> scenes. She's been she's... in so many previous scenes and has no plot relevance whatsoever. She's in it loads. It's like, what's she going to do at the end? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and she is like, this is the trophy for the hero. Yeah. Trophy uh, character. And uh, also just the, the way he's like, well, you know, if you enjoy like cartoonish violence, you yeah. must be okay with like a sort of misogynist joke, right? Yeah. And like, well, They're both like bad taste, so they're the same? Yeah, yeah. He just doesn't get it. I mean, he just absolutely does not get it. It's terrible. Oh, man. Poor guy. Listen, you're talking to two guys who subscribe to Gnome Dunham here, and yeah. quite frankly, Gordon, <laughs> you just don't cut the mustard. So, so that's our sort of second review of King's Movie. <laughs> so annoying we can review it twice. There might be a third review next week. Next week we might lay into it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening everyone thanks for listening everybody and um, what I want please um, subscribe to us on iTunes where we will be releasing a special Valentine's Day film chat goodie yes and you won't be able to hear it unless you subscribe to us on iTunes on iTunes or visit our Podomatic page I don't want to go into details but make sure you're listening to this alone (laughs) (laughs) yes Let's just say, I hope your mother isn't present when you listen to the film chat night. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. uh, Anyway. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yes, it is. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.